everything that I had been working so hard for in my career suddenly was crashing and burning all around me. That's the story I'm going to tell in this episode. So Decide to Lead, the book is officially for sale the day when we're releasing this podcast episode, Wednesday, November 18th. It's on sale. Well, it's for sale on Amazon and it's on sale. We're actually offering it for these first few days, the cheapest price that Amazon will allow us to actually offer the Kindle version and the um and the paperback version. So in this episode, what I'm going to do to kind of commemorate to Mark to celebrate the launch of the book is I'm going to give you one of the chapters for free. So this is actually in this episode, we're going to give you the the audio file that we that we actually uploaded to Audible that they're reviewing right now and will allow people to buy here very shortly. So one of the chapters that that has a story about when everything in my media career was coming crashing down on me. That's the story I'm going to tell in this episode and let you hear that chapter for free. So let's get this episode started. This is the class your business school didn't offer. It's the training your employer still hasn't provided. How do leaders like us get people to do what we need them to do so we can grow our results and live the life we desire? That's the question, right? This podcast contains the answers. I am Russ Hill, and welcome to Culture Hacks. To be honest with you, there's like this huge sense of relief now that uh, now that the book that I've been talking to you about um, for quite some time is officially done on the market for sale, being purchased as we speak. I promise that I won't make every episode of this podcast about this book. I know that will become obnoxious to you. And in fact, for some of you, I may have already crossed that line. But forgive me, because this is something that I spent a tremendous amount of time on. And it's my first one. And so it's it's pretty significant for me to, to have it for sale. If you would not mind, I would, the favor I would, I, I, I want to ask you for, and I would love it if you would do is to go to the show notes, which is just swipe up on your on your phone screen or swipe over, depending on what app you're using. You'll see a link there to buy the book that I have for sale. And you all, I, I've got it listed to where it shouldn't be a financial um, concern for anyone. 99 cents is what they, I mean, like I'm making, I, I think I might make a few dollars this month off of book sales. I'm I'm not trying to drive this for revenue or money right now. I'm, I'm actually just trying to get something that I've spent a lot of energy on and I think has the potential to help a lot of leaders. And I say that with tremendous humility because it this book really shares a lot of my mistakes, challenges that I've had trying to lead others. And in fact, you're going to hear about one of them in just a moment. But it, it, would, be, it would be very, very meaningful to me if you um, could take a, a just a minute or two and click on or tap on that link and go buy the Kindle version of that book at 99 cents or the paperback, which is $5.99. Because what that does, you guys, what it does is it drives up some sales and it shows Amazon that there's some interest in this book as a no-name author, right? As as me, Mr. No-Name over there. And it, and it convinces Amazon, as my friends who have done this repeatedly, 
uh, tell me, it convinces Amazon to expand the reach, uh, the visibility of the exposure of my book, which will make it possible for more people to buy it so I can get more 99 cents. <laughs> Again, it's not the money that's really interesting to me about this book. It's trying to help more leaders. So if you wouldn't mind taking a minute or two and on your phone today, um, today tapping on that link and purchasing a copy, um, that would be very, very, very meaningful to me. And um, the price is going to go up quite a bit in the next few days. So if you're listening to this podcast episode, when I've released the book, when I'm releasing the episode, then um, I, I encourage you to go do that. Again, I appreciate that and and uh, and hope you, you sense the humility in the request. Okay, so I'm going to get right to one of the chapters. So I'm going to let you hear you all one of the chapters in the book. This isn't the whole chapter, but it's a, it's most of it. And I'll just do a little bit of setup. This is chapter four. And each chapter of Decide to Lead, the book, each chapter is a question. And so I wrote it as if the two of us were having lunch and you were to ask me, hey, Russ, what tips do you have for me? How could you help me become a better leader based on all of the mistakes you've made leading various teams in your career and in the in, in what you've learned in observing thousands of leaders around the world in all kinds of industries over the last several years in, in my, my role at our firm. What would, you, what would you share with me? If you were to ask me that question, I would respond with four questions for you. And these are the questions that in my mind, if you had to really simplify what it takes to be a leader who can deliver exceptional results, positively impact the lives of other people, and sustain results – um, then that, that person would be able to answer these four questions. So this is chapter four that I'm about to, uh, that I'm about to hit play on. This is the actual file that we submitted to audible, um, a few days ago, and they take a few weeks as I understand it to review, do like quality control on the files. And then they allow us to make the audible version of the book for sale right now. It's just paperback and Kindle and the audible version, as soon as audible approves it, um, then, then it will be for sale as well. Um, so this is chapter four, which is, um, which is the, really the last, let me think through this out loud. Yeah. It's the last question that I asked. So I've gone through all kinds of different aspects of leadership and now I'm getting into kind of more of the personal aspect of it. And, uh, and so I start chapter four you're going to hear not quite the beginning and you're not going to hear the last several pages of it just for time's sake. Cause I'm trying to make this episode not too long for you. Um, but you're going to hear me pick up with the story about when I, when I was leading the turnaround of radio stations here where I live now in the Phoenix, Arizona market, and our family had moved here and I had taken on this assignment in our company that I'd worked for. I'd worked at our, our, our national broadcast company for at that point, gosh, yeah, more than a decade. And I had various jobs and now um, the stations that our company had purchased in Phoenix were really struggling. The ratings were low. The revenue wasn't where it needed to be. We bought them. Our company bought these stations um, with them performing poor, poorly. And so my job was, hey, Russ, can you go in there and fix them? 
And uh, and so the stations that I was given responsibility for were news and sports stations. So think news talk, talk shows, political talk shows, think sports play by play and uh, and sports talk shows. That's that's what I was given responsibility to build. Take these stations, turn them around and generate ratings, um, ratings winners and uh, and revenue winners in the marketplace. And so. Um, at that point, when I'm starting that project is where this chapter begins. Here's the, the chapter from Audible. One of my first hires was a talk show host from Dallas, Texas. He worked at a second tier radio station in that larger media market, but had the political views, energy level, experience, and on-air presence our station needed. He would absolutely put us back on the map. So I flew him and his wife out to Phoenix, put them up in one of Arizona's swankiest resorts, and took them to an Arizona Diamondbacks game. I thought I wanted to hire him before I met him in person, and his visit to Phoenix convinced me I was right. He eventually agreed to join our team, and after several months, debuted on our station. Immediately, he began generating noise in the market. He got noticed and ratings began to soar. Then something awful happened. He was hit by another car while driving home one night and suffered a brain injury. I will never forget how I felt when I first visited with him and discovered he could no longer host a live three-hour daily talk show. My plan to turn around this station had been dealt a huge blow. Not only that, but this man who had become a friend was now suffering through the darkest moments of his life. As I was dealing with this huge personal and professional trial, one of the senior executives of our company made his quarterly visit to our market. He was a well-connected, successful, and very intense man. He was one of those executives who intentionally utilized intimidation as a leadership tactic. Don't get me wrong, I respected him, and he was an exceptional leader who had an indisputable record of delivering results. But he was also someone who made sure you knew who was in charge. After a group dinner one night, this executive vice president of our company asked me if I would give him a ride back to his hotel. He was staying at the eclectic Valley Ho Hotel in Old Town Scottsdale. As we approached the hotel, he asked me to pull over on a side street. I shifted the SUV into park. He then turned to me from the passenger seat and said something to the effect of, Russ, I hope the plan you have chosen to turn around those radio stations works. I like you. And I really hope this plan of yours is the right one. As you know, you don't have all the time in the world. So at some point, it will need to be obvious that you have succeeded in choosing the right course for us. It was obvious he had intentionally chosen not to use any words like us, we, team, or anything remotely plural in our conversation. He was making it clear this was totally about me and my plan. It wasn't hard to read between the lines and understand his intent in this conversation. He had some doubts about the plan we were executing, and he wanted me to know that I, and I alone, owned it. 
as soon as he made those comments, he told me to go ahead and drop him off at his hotel. My drive home that night was about 20 miles, which took about 30 minutes, but it felt like forever. The entire drive home, I sweated. I couldn't stop thinking of what the EVP had said. Here I was in the midst of dealing with an entirely unforeseen challenge, a challenge that would certainly delay the turnaround. And instead of consoling me, this executive wanted to make sure I knew my job was riding on whether my plan worked or not. This story leads me to the next question regarding what it takes to be a great leader. Question number four, are you willing to stand alone? There are a few reasons we elevate the status of leaders in organizations and society. Leaders generally make more money and enjoy additional benefits or perks than everyone else in an organization or on a team. One of the reasons for this is they take on additional responsibility for the success or failure of an organization. They live or die, so to speak, by their decisions. I love the saying that some credit to a senator in the Roman Empire from around 87 AD. JFK also liked to use it. Victory has 100 fathers. Defeat is an orphan. I've heard the maxim modified a bit as success has a thousand fathers. Failure is an orphan. The wording doesn't really matter. Both versions are completely accurate. When success or victory occurs, everyone wants to claim they were a part of making it happen. Conversely, when failure or defeat happen, everyone runs for the exits and points fingers of blame. Every leader will experience failures. They'll make the wrong decisions. Their plans will sometimes not work out. In those moments, the leader alone will bear the brunt of it. It's part of the reason why the average lifespan of a CEO at an organization is about three years. A head coach in the NFL averages four seasons with a team. From 2013 to 2016, 19 NFL teams changed head coaches. Were all those coaches miserable leaders? Of course not. But when the team didn't perform the way the owners and fans wanted, someone had to answer for the failure. President Barack Obama was once asked about the nature of his job as president of the U.S. He said, I used to describe the nature of the presidency as having to make decisions about issues that nobody else could solve or are basically insolvable or at least not perfectly solvable. By definition, if a problem had an obvious solution to it, somebody else would have solved it before it got to me. Isn't that true of any leader in any organization? The job of a leader is to make decisions. The decisions that come to you are the decisions that could not easily be made lower on the org chart. The more senior a leader, the more impact those decisions tend to have. Whenever someone makes a decision, they instantly alienate themselves. Decisions require a choice between multiple options and almost always, there are differing opinions in organizations about which option is best. No matter the choice the leader makes, someone is going to think it's the wrong one. Why is leadership lonely? Because people will disagree with what you say and do sometimes. Those who vocally criticize some of your decisions 
will occasionally be people you counted as loyal supporters or friends. In moments when your decisions end up leading to undesired outcomes or create controversy, you'll find the crowd of supporters around you has vanished and you are left standing alone. At that moment, you'll experience the refining fire of leadership. Some react with bitterness or retreat. Great leaders are not surprised by criticism, doubting, second-guessing, or even abandonment. They stand strong when their team experiences temporary setbacks. Jeff Bezos said, If you can't tolerate critics, don't do anything new or interesting. Bezos didn't say you have to like critics. He said we need to tolerate them. I'm amazed at how many leaders are uncomfortable with people disagreeing with or challenging their decisions. Are you competent? Have you taken a clear position? You can't be a great leader without being willing to stand alone. And the example I've been using throughout this book, I had to make a decision when I drove away from dropping off that executive vice president at his hotel. I had to decide if I was confident in my plan. I had to decide if I was willing to stand up and say it was the right plan and be willing to accept the blame and consequences that would occur if it didn't work. In my career leading media properties, I often paid for research to be done on our on-air personalities. We'd pay a company to call hundreds of radio listeners and ask them questions about our talk show host. If the talk show host didn't generate a decent amount of what we called unfavorable reviews, then I knew the host wasn't going to be successful. You wanted the favorable reviews to outnumber the unfavorable, but if we didn't have about 15 to 25% of listeners who didn't like our talk show host, we knew they weren't generating enough of a reaction to drive high ratings. I laugh when people get upset at the strong conservative political opinion personalities at Fox News Channel or the liberal rantings of hosts on MSNBC and CNN. Those strong positions that some people get mad about are put on the air by design. The hosts will quickly lose their jobs if they don't generate enough unfavorable reviews. Why? Because research shows that when someone takes a position, it causes a reaction in the audience. When a radio or television personality says, Donald Trump has been a terrible president, that strong statement forces you to make a decision. Do you agree? Or disagree. When you have to take a position as a listener or viewer, you are much more engaged in the program. Your emotions have been triggered. You're mad at that personality that they said such a thing about Mr. Trump, or you're thrilled that someone else besides you thinks that he has been bad for the country. When someone takes a position, it becomes a line in the sand. People must decide whether they agree or disagree with it. Leaders are paid to take positions. Sure, leaders should do their best to get people aligned to why they made the decision they made. Great leaders seek to involve as many people as possible in those discussions that precede the decision. But regardless of all that, a leader should still anticipate that some portion of their team, their shareholders, their vendors, and ultimately their customers will disagree with their decisions. Great leaders must, in the words of Bezos, 
tolerate this. They should expect it. Cycles of success and failure and loneliness. No leader will consistently be celebrated or even appreciated. Every leader at every level goes through cycles of success and failure. The successes feel great and yet are often short-lived. The failures hurt. Before anyone decides to lead, they need to have clarity around the reality that the decision to be a leader will bring with it lonely days. Failure is hard for anyone, but the difficulty and pain are magnified 10 times for leaders. They stand on stages with bright spotlights on them. When they say something foolish or make an unwise decision, they do it in full sight of everyone. The more successful the leader, the more intense the pain of each failure. Great leaders understand this risk. They are aware there will be days, months, and even years when they will have to push through criticism and loneliness. Many years ago, the man who was the leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints stood before a crowd of more than 16,000 students at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, and decided to throw out his scripted speech. Instead, he delivered a remarkable discourse he later titled, The Loneliness of Leadership. In that speech, Gordon B. Hinckley said, The price of leadership is loneliness. He quoted William Shakespeare when he wrote, Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. Forgive me for being so dark in this part of the book. After reading this chapter, some of you might think, who would ever want to put up with any of that? It's not my intent to scare anyone out of pursuing being a leader in any aspect of their life. But as I consider the choices a person must make when deciding to lead, this book would have been incomplete without covering this topic. As I have repeatedly stated, leadership brings with it incredibly rewarding experiences. It increases a person's capacity. It unlocks learning and joys of life that wouldn't be possible without being a leader. However, I want to be clear. Along with the incredible highs of being a leader come tremendous lows. Okay, there is the, uh, the clip that I wanted to share with you today. Part of chapter four of my brand new book, Decide to Lead. I hope you all enjoyed that. You guys, I listened to it. It's hard because I listen to that and I think, oh man, I need to edit this out and that out. And I said that like three times. That's way too repetitive and I need to adjust this and this would have made it better. You know, I'm listening <laughs> through it, thinking of all the changes that need to be made to what you just heard in order to make it better. But uh, I was telling my son Tyler the other day when we had a chance to talk to him um, and, uh, and I said to him, I shared with him a quote that hangs on the wall in our basement uh, right next to the uh, the ping pong table. There's several frames there. And one of them is this piece of art with a quote from Steve Jobs. And the quote is real artist ship, real artist ship, S-H-I-P, <laughs> ship product. And it's a, it's, it's a, it, the, the reason that I have that frame, the backstory on it real quick is um, Steve Jobs, when, when he put out, when Apple put out the first iPhone, if you can think back, if you were alive back then, if you were old enough to get the phone, um, which I did, I remember buying it and thinking it was this revolutionary product. It was amazing, and it was, but compared to today's smartphones, it was lame, right? And so there was this blogger, this 
critic who reviewed the first iPhone and went, seriously? Like, that's the best you can do? And so he wrote an email, as the story goes, to Steve Jobs that was very critical of the, of the initial iPhone. And Steve Jobs responded as he was as he would as he would do on occasion. He would respond to some emails, and he wrote back to this blogger who was incredibly critical of the first iPhone. And he just said three words in his email response: "Real artist ship," meaning, "Hey, dude." at least we actually went to market. At least we actually, um, we're, we're on the court. We're not in the, the, the stands watching the game. We're actually shipping product. And so I was telling Tyler that because we were part of our conversation or update uh, with him this week. I just took a minute. We just talked real quick about the fact um, that, uh, that the book was coming out this week and, and I, and he was saying, yeah, do you want to edit it? He was asking me some questions like, is it done dad? Do you feel really good about it? I'm like, no, like there are so many changes I want to make to it. It, 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 it's not good enough in so many ways. And yet I just think of that Steve jobs quote, which is at some point you just gotta, you got to go to the, the, the mail room you got to put it in a box and you got to put an address label on it and ship it even though you know it could be so much better. So anyway, hopefully you enjoyed um, the, that, that part of chapter four of the book that, uh, that I just played for you. And again, a, uh, a request, if you, if, you, if you have the time or the ability to, man, it would, it would be so meaningful to me. I promise not to make this a, a constant theme in these podcast episodes because uh, it, it will annoy me and annoy you. But if you have time, I'd love for you to tap on that link and go purchase a Kindle version, one paperback version, or several paperback versions for friends or colleagues, whatever you, whatever you want to do. The book will never be cheaper than it is right now, and uh, and it would it would be meaningful to me because of the exposure that will generate in this first day or two of sales on Amazon. They pay, as I'm told, they pay a lot of attention to that. Um, in the first uh, the first day or two, I, this is not going to be a bestseller, right? I mean, like, holy cow! Like, I'm still going to be a nobody when it comes to Amazon. But if I can reach a few more leaders and get get these ideas and, and get stories like what you just heard in the in the hands of a few more people and help people who are trying to positively impact other people's lives, that would be that would be meaningful for me. So, okay. There you go. Hope you're all healthy. Hope you're doing well. And we will talk to you in the next episode. Thanks, everybody.